6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who were known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then if we turn to 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 to 13. First Timothy 3, verse 8. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be together, praising God with our voices, praying to him, singing together. These are all wonderful graces that our Father God has bestowed upon us, his people. And this morning, we're going to witness an incredible event where our Lord Jesus is going to be magnified in our midst because of his work that he's doing in his church here in Armidale. But before uh, we look at the texts that were wonderfully read out for us this morning, I think we should pray. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful to be here this morning. That in your kindness, in your grace, in your loving mercy, you have brought us together to come around your word, to hear from you this morning. And we ask by the work of your spirit that that would indeed happen, that you would change our minds, that you would cause us to look at Christ, our beautiful saviour and to love him ever so much more. 
and that you would change us, change us, Father, and use us for your glory. We ask for this in the name of our Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's great to uh, have you uh, with us here this morning uh, for this very special time where we will be ordaining Andy Wagner as our new deacon. Now, before we go ahead and lay hands on this man, I thought that it would be a good opportunity to have a look at why Jesus has given this very important office to his church. However, uh, this morning, as we gather, uh, we don't primarily want to gather together to ordain a man, though it's very exciting to do so. But we primarily want to give glory to Christ, who is doing his continual work among us here at Grace Christian Church and in the city of Armidale by making himself known through the preaching of the word and through the servants of his church. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, it's going to be very handy to have them open uh, at the passages that were read out this morning, being Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, as they show us why the office of deacon is such a vitally important ministry to the local church. Also this morning, I just want to say that I'm aiming at just two things for you to understand before we ordain our deacon. The first thing that I want you to understand is simply, what is a deacon? And the second thing that I want you to understand is, what does a deacon do? That's right, two very simple things that I'm aiming to help you to understand this morning before we ordain Andy. What is a deacon and what does a deacon do? So with that said, let's go in order with which uh, the text uh, were read out this morning, first with Acts 6. These are the words of God. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of the word of God, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And then we see uh, seven men that were brought forward. Uh, they presented them to the apostles. They prayed for them. They laid their hands on them so that the word of God spread. So the first thing that I want you to understand is that a deacon is a servant who has been set aside by God to, and it's in the name, to serve. Now, I say it's in the name because in the Greek, the word that sits under our English translation of deacon is a word that is always associated with service. That's what the Greek literally means. Deacon means servant when used as a noun or service when used as a verb, a doing word. And different forms of the word deacon are actually found over a hundred times 
in the New Testament. Now, that's not to say the office of deacon, which we're going to look at this morning, is talked about over a hundred times in the New Testament. No, the noun form is only specifically used in a few different places, but the Greek word that is associated with the verb deaconing is found all over the place, and it always means either serving or ministering to others. Here with the passage that we have before us, we get an understanding of just what the deacons were set aside to do. But first, let's have a look at a bit of context. You see, something incredible had happened in the early church. We read after the ascension of Jesus in bodily form that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Now, we all know the story. Peter then delivered one of the greatest recorded sermons in the Bible to which around 3,000 people were saved and then added to the church. So what you have is, is an absolute explosion of people on a tiny little group of disciples that needed to get themselves into order quick smart. Uh, just think about it. Jesus started off his uh, ministry as a lone rabbi in Galilee. He then collects people from little Jewish villages to follow him as his disciples. But by the time you get to the end of his earthly ministry and crucifixion, he's all but abandoned by a few people. Granted, after his resurrection, he appears to over 500 people, but then we're told in Acts 1 that those in the upper room, well, they numbered only around 120. So that growth of 3,000 in one day is insane. I mean, we've seen wonderful and beautiful growth here in the last year at Grace Christian Church. But imagine, if you will, if we went from this little flock in this room this morning to an added 3,000 in a day. We'd be needing to think about a whole bunch of things that go along with that. And it was the same here with the church in Acts. They were overjoyed that the Lord Jesus had added so many to their number, that they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, we're told. It was an occasion for celebration. And church, when we see the Lord adding to his people, it's always something to celebrate. But as we know, more people mean more work. It's inevitable. Now, something to note here. Uh, we don't all come from the same walks of life, and it was the same in the early church. There were some who were uh, very wealthy and who had lots so that they could sell all that they had so as to help out financially uh, others in the church. And others needed to be assisted because not everyone who was saved into the church was materially wealthy. And that's fine, as we know Material status means nothing to God. And so there were uh, very generous people in the congregation who knew that about their newfound brothers and sisters in the Lord and they wanted to love them practically and make sure that they were really taken care of. 
care of. There was a problem. And that was the sheer number of people who were being daily added to the church. Now, the problem wasn't the people in and of themselves. No, that was and is and always will be the most amazing thing when we see people come to the Lord. Bring it on, we say. But the problem was that some in the church, uh, namely the widows, were starting to be neglected because of the incredible rate of growth experienced in the church. Now, I want you to notice this. The problem of neglect in context was between two widow groups. Now, we don't have time to go into all of this this morning, but the Jewish Christians were keenly aware that they served a God who deeply cares about widows and orphans. He deeply cares about them, and they must never, never be neglected. So it seems that the Christians who had that background in Judaism were keenly aware of making sure that those who had no husband to look after them were looked after by the church. However, the Hellenistic Jews, who were Jews that most likely didn't live in Jerusalem but in the surrounding countries, hence being Hellenistic or Greek-speaking, didn't receive the same treatment. So for whatever reason, they were being overlooked in comparison to the widows of the Hebrews. And so we might say here that there was a great need for servants of the church to raise up and meet those specific circumstances. Uh, There was growth, and that's amazing. The Lord loves to add to his church. However, the church was keenly aware that providing for people physically among them is also very important to our God. Not just for the Jewish widows, but for all widows that were among them. They knew that looking after the vulnerable, no matter how big or fast the church was growing, was extremely important to God. And so they had to do something about it. And nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. So being aware of this, the 12 gathered all the disciples to to sort the problem out. Now, as we're starting to see here, uh, the problem wasn't that the church was being neglected spiritually, but that some were starting to be neglected physically. And there was a danger here that they were becoming aware of. Uh, They were in danger of neglecting the word and prayer so that people could be physically provided for. And so instead of just continuing to focus on spiritual matters, the apostles, those who were responsible for feeding and leading the flock, looked to hold the two things together. To say it plainly, they looked at not neglecting those in need among them because they knew that God cares for those in need. However, they knew at the same time that they were not to neglect the preaching of the word and prayer. We see it right there in verses 2 through to 4 of Acts 6. In other words, those who were and are responsible for serving the church in the ministry of the word 
couldn't leave, nay, shouldn't leave that great responsibility in order to meet the needs of those among them physically, though in no way are physical needs ever to be neglected. I mean, that's incredible if you think about it. On the one hand, it lets you know how important the preaching of the word of God is for the people of God. But on the other hand, it tells you that people's physical needs are important as well. And so those who would be chosen for this great service are not just waiters, but very much chosen to be put in the position of supporting the elders in the ministry of the word among them. Let me explain what I mean by that. Physically helping the people of God is a very important thing to do. And the apostles knew that. But they also knew that their primary responsibility was to teach the people of God, to give themselves over to prayer and provide leadership. However, because of the sheer growth of the church, they couldn't do some of those. They they were starting to see that there was a danger of not being able to do those things they were called for. So they appealed to the church for specific men to take on the task of looking after God's people in a physical sense so they could continue looking after God's people in a spiritual sense. We're starting to see something here. This isn't an either-or situation. And that is so important to understand and apply to us here at Grace Christian Church. Brothers and sisters, we, we have to be so careful of not leaning one way or the other. I mean, if we were all about serving the community of Armadale and making ourselves the best community centre that this city has ever seen at the expense of neglecting the word, then all we're doing is turning ourselves into a social justice club where we don't actually have any good news to tell anyone or disciple anyone in. Waving people to hell, whom we are fed, clothed, and watered. Is there a great need in our community? Absolutely. And does God care about those in need among us and out there in Armadale? Absolutely, but not at the expense of his word being neglected, because it is the gospel that is the power unto salvation for everyone, everyone who believes. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The word is preached and it is vitally important for both the people of God and the community around us. It's vitally important. Let's think about it like this. Notice that people don't come to the apostles present the problem and they say, you know, people's souls are more important than their bodies. Let's just leave them. Let's just see how they figured it out. You know, she'll be right, mate. And I know we might find that 
amusing. However, there could be so strong conservative churches that do a great job of telling it like it is and, and knowing what they know in phenomenal ways. Their doctrine is pure. They hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Amen. But they turn a deaf ear to the people around them because to, to, they, they turn a deaf ear to the homeless, the starving in their cities, and they're not passionate about meeting real concerns with the people around them. In this text, we see there is a danger. And the apostles beautifully bring out something here. The church can become so fixated on doing church that we can become inward looking and forget about people's real physical needs. But neither one of those pictures is biblical when it comes to the church. In other words, it's not an either or situation, it's a both and we proclaim the gospel with boldness. We protect the gospel as it is the news of salvation for everyone. However, at the same time, we give our lives and our love to make the gospel known among our own people and to those who are in great need with all we say and with all we do. It is a beautiful picture. And that's what we see here. The apostles say we're going to give our whole attention to the preaching of the gospel, but we are going to raise up a whole class of office in the church whose fundamental job is going to be to serve those real tangible needs that are among us. I hope you can see something here, brothers and sisters. A deacon's... They are so much more than waiters. No, they're specific men chosen by God. They're confirmed by the people of God, chosen to meet the needs of people so that the word can still be proclaimed with boldness, without hindrance. They are a vital part of the ministry of the church. Now, as we can see in the text before us, these seven men aren't called deacons here, but undoubtedly they act in that role, serving the needs of the people so that the elders among them could lead the church. It's a beautiful picture of the church in action, not just in word, which was growing the church, Growing the church, but indeed, which was assisting and loving the people of God with real tangible love. It's a beautiful picture we have here. So what are deacons? Well, they are servants chosen by God for a specific role, which are confirmed by the people so that they might meet physical needs of people and thus support the elders in the ministry of the word. It's what they are, and that's what they do. To put it plainly, deacons are specific servants that serve in a specific way. But there's more to say on this. And it's already been said a couple of times this morning. They are so much more than waiters. 
Now, deacons are men who hold fast to the truth of the gospel and meet certain Christ-like character qualifications. If you have your Bibles, let's have a look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through to 13. We're told, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women or the wives are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as I said before, the Greek that sits under the word deaconing is tied to serving and ministering. And that's what we all do. It's been said wonderfully from this pulpit this morning. Uh, that's what we all do for one another in the body of Christ. Yet, as we've also seen this morning, certain men are called and put aside to function in the role of deacon. Now, the way in which this service is carried out varies from time to time and from church to church because not all situations are the same for all time. I mean, we don't have an Acts 6 situation on our hands here this morning, I I hope. But in saying that, the qualification of deacon, well, that's permanent for all time. Permanent. And it's here in these few verses that I've just read that we have those qualifications spelt out for us. In other words, what we have here is what the church is to look for in a man who would serve the church in this way. Now, I want you to note a couple of things here before we have a look at this list. Uh, First, I want you to notice how the passage I just read began with, in the same way. Now, what Paul is focusing in on there is just like the elders of the church, the deacons are to reflect the character of Christ as well. In other words, like elders, deacons are to be godly, self-controlled Christian men qualified by their desire to serve and by their embrace of the gospel, of the Christian faith and their proven character. They desire to serve. That's important. But notice this. They're also characterized by a character that's being shaped by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And this is evident for the church to see. I want to say it like this. There's a list of qualifications that the deacon has kind of got to have on his CV so the church can see the grace of God working in that man's life and recognize him for that role. Second, there are differences with the elder in that the deacons are not set aside to lead or to teach. That's a role reserved for the elders of the church. As we've seen this morning, the deacons assist the elders so that they can be given over to prayer and preaching while the deacon meets the practical needs of the people. 
I, I want to illustrate this, and it's like walking a tightrope, and your grace is the net that is under my feet right now. But I like to think about it like a band that plays well together to make beautiful music. Uh, that means the deacons aren't the roadies that kind of linger to the side uh, while the show goes on. I like to think they're more like the rhythm section that serve the more frontline instruments of melody and voice, but are still instrumental to the band. To put that another way, elders and deacons work together in complementary roles. The elders lead the people with the voice, while the deacons assist the people with the hands. And I think we're meant to have a picture of two ordained officers serving the people of God in word and deed. And when working together, it creates a beautiful song for the people of God to sing along with. So with that said, let's have a quick think about a few things uh, that we've read in these verses this morning. And I want to make some general comments for your consideration. First, the deacons need to be honourable men. That means that they are uh, that they are genuine, authentic men that are not given over to gossip or slander. We also want to see that they're controlled, meaning they don't flip out in anger or have a problem with addiction so as to hinder them from displaying the mercy, the grace and the love of Christ to all those around them inside and outside the church. Second, they're to be a sacrificial giver. What I mean by that is that they're not looking to the office for dishonest gain. As we saw in Acts 6, the role requires that they're going to have some part in the distribution of funds and supplies. And we don't want someone in that role who's lining their own pockets. We are all called, all of us, to be generous people. God wants you and me to be generous with what we have, which means that the deacons will have a certain amount of responsibility with what you give, your sacrifices, which are given in order to help people. We want to be able to see what is given being used in the most God-honoring way. Third, they're to be devoted to the word of God. Now, as I said before, that doesn't mean that they have to teach the word of God, but it certainly doesn't mean that they shouldn't teach the word of God either. In fact, one of the seven uh, that was named this morning, if you read on in Acts, he goes on to be an evangelist. And we see that he wonderfully explains to the Ethiopian eunuch who Christ is and how one might be saved. And so we want men who are not just in love with people and wanting to help them, but in love with God and wanting to know him more and more and when, not if, when the opportunities present themselves, that they're able to lead people to Jesus in a way that is right and true. We all need to know the word of God and we're all called to share that truth with others. This includes the deacon. However, he's not expected to stand up from week to week and deliver the word of God. 
Fourth, and certainly not least, he is to be a good husband and a good father who leads his children in a godly way. Now, church, does this mean that all these character qualities exist in a man without sin? Absolutely not. Otherwise, we would have no deacons. In fact, you wouldn't have elders. If Paul wanted this perfectly figured out, the church would have gone 2,000 years without deacons if it was required that they met all these qualifications perfectly. No, we're all in the same boat when it comes to sin. We're all in the same situation when it comes to pouring our hearts out to God when we fall short, when we make mistakes, and we all do. The Bible isn't asking for perfection here, but is giving us, the church, the elders, things to look for in a man who is day by day, season by season, looking more and more like Christ. We're not looking for perfection here at Grace Christian Church. That's not the point of what Paul has given us here. But it is to say, when we raise up leaders in this church, we want men who are working with the grace of God to reflect his glory as best as he can. And so we have these things given to us by God so that we can know what to look for in certain men among us whom God is raising in our midst to serve us in this way. Church, I began our time this morning by telling you that I essentially wanted to answer just two questions. And those two questions were simply, what is a deacon and what does a deacon do? Well, hopefully you've seen as we've looked at these passages that have been read out this morning that deacons are servants chosen by God for a specific role which are confirmed by the people of God so that they might meet the physical needs of people and thus support the elders in the ministry of the word. In other words, deacons are specific servants that serve in a specific way. But I also began our time this morning by saying to you that we don't just want to ordain a man among us. No, we want to glorify Christ who is doing his continual work among all of us here in this church and in the city of Armidale by making himself known through the preaching of the word and through all of us, his servants. And so I want to leave you with something this morning. Leave you to ponder this. We see it in John 13. You might already know the story, but... Towards the end of Christ's earthly ministry, he washes his disciples' feet and then he says to them, I'm going to give you a new command. Simply this, love one another. Now we might ask the question, is is that really a new commandment? Well, if you know your Bible, you know what Jesus is doing here. He's driving home an Old Testament truth a truth that was given to the people of God from the very beginning in Leviticus. However, what does Jesus go on to say? 
doesn't just say love one another. He goes on to say, love one another as I have loved you. Because of this love, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples. In other words, as we, the the people of God, filled by the Spirit of God, live to serve and love one another, not just in word but in deed, we will be witnesses to the world around us that we are truly disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. This is a a truly phenomenal grace. A a phenomenal grace that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. We are all sorts of people from all sorts of places with all sorts of walks of life. We come from different backgrounds, different economic circumstances, different experiences, different nations, different cultures. Yet we all have one Father in heaven. We all have one Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We all have one Holy Spirit. We've all been gathered as the people of God through the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been gathered in him because of the grace of God alone grace of God alone, his unmerited favour on us alone. But there's more. Right now in this very place, in this very community, right where you sit this morning, there is a love that's being poured out by God's Holy Spirit that goes deeper than any physical bond. It is truly by the grace of God that any of this has come about. It is the Lord Jesus Christ We need to hear this this morning. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who has been pleased to add us to his church so that we might shine a light in this world. Brothers and sisters, the deacons, they take the command of that love and they work at making it visible in the life of the church. They are men who are raised up among us who lead us in showing what tangible love to the congregation really looks like so that we might learn, that we might love and that we might witness to the world around us. Our Lord Jesus makes it clear and we see it in the gospel. Love is tangible. The gospel isn't God telling us he loves us alone. He has shown us. He has shown us in the Lord Jesus. The love of God for his people is tangible. And in God's kindness, he raises deacons to give us a picture of that gospel-centric sacrificial love. As I've said this morning already, The deacon is vital to the fellowship of believers. He compliments and he supports the elders in the ministry of prayer and the preaching of the word. In church, we are so blessed that God has given us a man in this local congregation to help us in this, a specific servant to serve us in a specific way. 
Let's pray. Father God, we began our time this morning by asking that you would hold the Lord Jesus Christ high among us and so that we would look to him. And we thank you that the gospel is something, a love that is so tangible, a mark in history, a real life event that we can look to and see both your wrath on our sin and your love poured out simultaneously. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. There are no words to express. There is no words to express the Lord Jesus. Father, you are a good, awesome God. We ask that you would please use this community, that we would love one another in the way that you would want us to love each other and that we would be witnesses to this world among us, around us. Lord, we know there are many going to hell around us. Please use this church for your glory and for the sake of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.